What's up, A30? How y'all feel today? Hey, I'm excited to be up here and uh, see what God's going to do today. Uh, we got some stuff in store. I've been praying about when uh, I found out that I was going to be here for today, what to talk about. And strangely enough, here's how I got here. I was wrestling my five-year-old son, and I was winning. <laughs> but uh, we, we, we were wrestling, and I got him in a move, and he was like, Dad, that hurts. And I was like, well, if it hurts, son, then you need to, uh, what they call, tap out. You just, need to ta- you just need to tap me on the chest, tap the ground. If this move hurts, then you need to tap out. And he said, Dad, we're gray boys. And I was like, yes, Dad, we are gray boys. He was like, we don't tap out. I was like, actually, actually son, we do. We, we do tap out. If it hurts, it's okay. You can, you can tap out. And I had an uncle growing up, and maybe you had an uncle like this too, or maybe you still have one, and he would put me in a headlock, and he would squeeze, and he would grab his knuckle, and he would do what they call a noogie, and then he wouldn't stop until I would say uncle. So today the title of my sermon is Say Uncle, and I want to talk about what it means to actually surrender parts of our life to Jesus Christ, and how a lot of us, sometimes it may even seem like most of us, the way that we got to become a Christ follower wasn't just because of we heard a truth or it wasn't just because we were loved really well, although those things work. It was maybe because we got to a point to where life got us so bad, we finally said, all right, God, I'm going to quit digging my heels in the ground. I'm going to quit fighting what you want for my life. I'm going to tap out. So today we're going to talk about what biblical surrender looks like, and I want to work off a couple verses. Uh, we'll do Romans 12, chapter 1. Uh, excuse me, Romans 12, verse 1. It says this. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then we're going to work with verse 2 as well. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you that we can't do anything apart from you, and we always need your help. Lord, and today we ask for it. I ask that you would um, help me to represent your character well today, and that you would help everybody to see you in a new light so that we could leave here refreshed and renewed with new strength and with new vigor to serve you and to represent you well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I have an opportunity to help coach a coach pitch team. Uh, it used to be T-ball, but now it's a coach pitch team, and our first games are actually this week. And we're in coach pitch, but the reason we're already in coach pitch isn't because our kids are all old enough. It's because they didn't have enough uh, players so that they bumped us up to coach pitch. So we've got some boys that are about this, uh, they're about this tall. And I'm pitching to them, and I'm processing, like their strike zone is the size of a donut. And I'm trying to, how can I get them a pitch that they can actually hit? And I mean, they're not very big at all. I'm sitting down there, and I'm trying really hard, and I'm thinking, man, let me get this in there. Let me, just something that they can actually hit. But more importantly than I'm trying to process, how do I get them a strike? I'm also processing, like, how do I not hit them? Like, what, what can I do not to torment this little kid so that he doesn't like baseball because I hit him with this ball, and I don't want to hit him with that ball. And I made, uh, we had a little meeting with the parents, and I was like, listen, guys, I'm going to do my best not to hit your kids. And, uh, and we had a dad come up to me afterwards, and he's a typical baseball dad, and he came up to me, he was like, oh, man, it's, you know, it'd be, good, it'd be good for those kids to get hit with a baseball. And I was like, I, I, actually, I, I don't think so, bud. I don't think so. He said, no, it would be, it would be good for them. And I think that if we don't um, make sure that we represent God's character well, 
um, we can represent him in such a way to where we tell people that actually pain is good and that God is the pitcher in the coach pitch game and he's the coach and he wants to teach you something by hitting you with the ball. And that is not what surrender is supposed to be about. Although pain may be the doorway that got us into Christianity because finally we tapped out when we were fighting, digging our heels in. That is not the way God wanted to design it. And here's what we need to recognize is that God is so, so good at turning things to good, like working them to good and forming them in good that we can look at something and say, you know what, maybe that pain or maybe God caused that pain, but that's not the way it works. Just because God turned it to good, we need to make sure that we state that it doesn't mean it started as good. Just because when God got his hands on it, he loved you enough and he's willing to get in the mix and in your mess with you does not mean that it started as good. And we can actually follow God long enough to where you look back and it's almost, it's not that you caught amnesia, but you look back and you look at the details and they're all the same, but the things that you live through, God can turn them as good and you look at them and you remember the data, but he removed the sting. And when he removes the sting, we need to remember that he act, there was actually pain there. There was something there that God got rid of. And just because all the details are still straight, um, sometimes we get to remind ourselves that, you know what, that pain wasn't caused by God. Maybe my decisions caused that. Maybe my enemy caused that. Maybe I, it was just, maybe I just had some trauma that led me into making bad decisions. But regardless of how the pain got caused, God was not the pitcher that hit you with the ball. God was the guy that went and he came and made sure you were all right, walked you to first base. And then when you didn't know where second base was, he walked you to second base. And when you were wondering where third base was and you were running around in center field trying to figure out how to even play the game of life, God ran out to center field. He grabbed you. He brought you back to second base. He coached you to third base. And then he got you to home, and when you got up to bat again, you were a little bit afraid because you got hit, and God was there with you, and he said, you know what? It's going to be all right. That's the role God plays in our life. He is not the one that causes the pain, but pain, however, is a doorway. It is a doorway, and I've heard it say like this, that pain produces power, and I don't know that I completely agree with that, um, but here's what I do agree with this. I think that when we go through pain in our life, it does produce humility, because God works things in our weakness. And that humility leads to surrender. So the way power comes into our life is that that pain is the doorway. And then when we surrender to Jesus Christ, we, give, we yield our life to greater power to show up. More of him to show up. But it's important that we recognize that just because maybe where you're at right now seems good, it doesn't mean that God caused the pain initially. We need to call it what it is, is that that pain maybe was caused by us or something else, but that is oftentimes how we get to surrender is that pain gets us there. But biblically, I believe that there is a greater way. There is a better way to surrender your life than just going through pain. And that guy, he said, it's good for them. It's good for them. There may be some truth to that in the sense to where maybe it's going to teach them uh, to not be afraid when they get in the batter's box. Maybe it's going to teach them to where a pitcher's not going to be a bully them later in life. Maybe there is some good from it, but that does not mean the pain in itself is good, and we need to represent the character of God very well so that we are not misleading to people. When pain happens, he is not the origin, but he is, he is good with coming down and working in our pain and through our pain and turning it to 
good. And when he turns it to good, and we look back and we remember the details, but the sting is gone, that is when I want to lead up to what we should allow our motivation for surrender to be, not just pain. And if that's how, if pain was the doorway for you to get to following Christ, then that is what it is. And maybe maybe you're still kind of hard-headed like me, and God still has to use pain as a teacher. But the teacher that he wants to use, or the motivator he wants to use, we actually find in Romans 12, 1, we'll put it back on the screen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your, um, excuse me, this is your true and proper worship. We'll keep it up there on the screen. He urges brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. I want to stay here for a little bit. The motivator for surrender should be the view that we have of God's mercy. These two scriptures that we're working with today, the whole idea is that we're supposed to surrender and yield more of us to Jesus Christ. And pain is not the motivator that God is trying to use. God is trying to use the view that you have of the times that he was merciful in your life. I've got a friend that just bought a new house and it's up on a hill. And I went out there and I was looking at it. It was a really nice house. And we're walking outside. He's like, man, this is a nice house. I was like, yeah, it is. He's like, but really, we kind of paid too much for just the house. And I was like, oh, you did? They got you, huh? He's like, no, 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 they didn't get us. We knew what we were doing. He was like, but we didn't just pay for the house. He's like, we paid for the view. And when it comes to you having a view of God's mercy, the reason you can do that is because that view has already been purchased and paid for. Jesus Christ died on a cross so that you could experience the, the, the marvelous mercy of who God is. And God can show up and give you mercy when you don't deserve it. And he can show up and intervene and change things from the way they were happening and alter the course of your life when you didn't deserve it. That is God's mercy and the motivator that should be your catalyst to surrender or could be our catalyst to surrender is when we look and we see that God has always been merciful. And since he has been merciful, now I can trust him with the next thing he's asking me to surrender to him because he's been full of mercy. And if you're taking notes, you can just say it like this. His mercy is my motivator. His mercy is my motivator. When it comes to me taking any step, when it comes to me endeavoring to be a better husband, my motivator is that God has been merciful to me. Being a better dad, my motivator is that God has been merciful to me. I'm going to be better on the job. My motivator is not just going to be pain anymore, although it might show up. It's that God has been so merciful. He's been rich in mercy, and he has given me so many things that I don't deserve. He's always been merciful, and that is going to be the motivator for me to go out because I can trust him now because I've seen that when he's dealt with me, he's always dealt with me very mercifully, so I don't need to um, dig my heels in. I don't need to be hard-headed. His mercy is my motivator. This is the thing that motivates me to surrender more of my life to Jesus Christ. And here's the deal. Um, The power for us to come out and be a witness, the power for us to do what we want to do in life, the power that, I mean, the help that comes from Jesus is tied hand in hand with our level of surrender. And then if surrender is something that God is asking from me, if I'm supposed to surrender my body and I'm supposed to become a living sacrifice, or if I'm supposed to sacrifice my will so that his will can be alive in my life, I need a motivator that works. Like I need something that's going to get me there. I need something that's never going to change. I need something that's going to carry me through. And pain in itself is just not going to do that. Romans 12, 1 says that we can do it in view of his mercy. The view has already been paid for. The view has already been paid for. Um, there's a scripture that talks about a guy that there was a field. And in this field, there was something that he really wanted out of this field. And the, the Bible calls it a pearl. And 
He looked at the field and he wanted the pearl and he did not know how to get the pearl without buying the whole field because the pearl was in the field. And scripture says that because he wanted the pearl so much, he bought the whole field so that he can have the pearl. And when he bought the whole field, he knew there was going to be rocks in the field. He knew there was going to be dirt in the field. He knew there was going to be sand in the field. He knew there would be trash. There would be debris that the field would require some work. But even though the field would require some work, he wanted the pearl in the field so much that he bought the whole field knowing that there was going to be work to do so that he could get to that pearl. In that parable, that scripture is talking about the mercy of God in our life, knowing how messed up we are, how incomplete we are apart from him, how many things that we do. There's dirt, there's junk, there's rock in our life. And God said, I want the pearl so much, I'll buy the whole field. When he is giving us mercy so that we can do further surrender, he's just not asking us to surrender to better behavior. I think it's important that we, we, we note that is that when God is saying surrender, he's just not talking about not doing the things that you think you shouldn't do anymore. He's talking about a surrender of the will to where you want to do things the way he wants you to do things. You, have, you, are, you are not kicking against the goads is what Paul says. Or you're not fighting when he asks you to do something and you're not trying to rebel against him. And it's not so much just where you spend your Saturday nights. That's not what, it's not a behavior modification to where you're just behave, changing the way that you behave. It is when God says, oh, you know, I'm buying the whole field because I know there's junk in the field, but I want the pearl. And then I say, okay, you know what, God, I am going to trust you enough to even in my mess, I know that I don't have to get cleaned up first. I'm going to surrender another level of my life. Um, I'm going to surrender more of my life. I'm going to trust you more. And my motivation is, is that last time I took the step, even when I slipped, even when I messed up, you still wanted me. You were still willing to buy the whole field because of the pearl that was in the field. In view of his mercy is my motivation. Mercy is my motivation. Um, let's start, pull Romans 12, 1 back up. There it is. It says, and, and to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is our true and proper worship. It's interesting that God considers surrender worship, that when we lay our life down more, God's, it's pleasing to him. And Sometimes when I'm thinking about what worship looks like, man, I like a certain song on. I like it at a certain volume. I like to be left alone, like my AirPods in, and I'm just going to do my thing. And that's not that that's not worship. But God said there's a level of worship, and he's calling it true and proper, is when you decide that you are going to surrender your will to my will. And if God is asking us to do that, then we need to really drill home a motivation factor that would help us to do that. And it says that in view of his mercy, mercy is my motivator to where I can surrender my body to where I can surrender my will so that it will be holy and pleasing to God because God is saying this is your true and this is your proper worship. Um, and I think it's important to recognize that when we're talking about, when we're talking about surrendering our will, when we're talking uh, about being more like Christ, to recognize that we're not just talking about the way that we act. We're talking about piece by piece allowing God um, to be more and more in control of the way that we live our life. And we say something around here all the time, and I really love, uh, and I love it more. I hear it all the time, but I love it more the more I think about it. And this is around here, we'll say from stage, we'll say that we want this church to be a place that you can belong before you believe. And, and you hear it, and you hear it, and you're kind of like, okay, um, we want people to belong, we want people to belong, we want people to belong. Um, but we also want them to believe. We don't just want them to feel happy when they're here. We want them to feel happy to a point to where they, they believe. And belong before you believe um, is a, what I believe is a mercy-infused culture. It is full 
of mercy, and it is a mercy field. You can say it like this. It's a, it's a habitat that we try to give people when they're here, and what I recognize is that mercy field habitats, they create biblical habits, so it wouldn't do us any good to get up here and just preach biblical practices and biblical habits and ways you're supposed to behave and things you're supposed to change and, and, and ways that God wants you to be and just preach them and preach them and preach them. If we didn't first give people a feeling or a glimpse of what the habitat itself actually looks like. So that's why we preach belong before you believe is because we want someone to come in here and feel the mercy of God and it be tangible and then them see people and then when they come in they're insecure and their inner critic is just yelling at them for the first time they're in church because they feel so convicted or they feel so at, like an outcast and not because it was made them for them to happen here but that's just what they feel and they get in here and it does no good to just say biblical principle biblical principle pain pain change change do different do more this, those things they may be truth but it does no good until you give them an opportunity to feel the habitat that is infused with mercy and they come in here and then they write on a connect card and say man something was just different about that place i hate that it had to feel like that that they didn't get it somewhere else, but it's the truth. Biblical principles should come, or biblical habits should come from a mercy-infused habitat where they come and there's an environment to where there's just mercy in the chair and on the ceiling and in the lobby and everywhere to where there's not any judgment. And it's not because God doesn't judge people, but it's because mercy, according to James, triumphs over judgment, that mercy is the goal. And it should be the goal for the decisions that you make personally. It should be the goal when you walk in the room. It should be the goal with the people that you um, encounter mercy is the goal to have a habitat filled with mercy. And then the next thing you know, people, they just kind of start letting their guard down. And you're like, oh my goodness, they're letting their guard down. And it's at different speeds for different people. But here's what happens. When they get in an atmosphere filled with mercy and that habitat gets a, becomes a part of their being, then they go. And then Monday through Saturday, these biblical habits start taking form. And they take a form at their pace. And that's between them and Jesus. But our job, our job, is to present an atmosphere, create an atmosphere to where there's such a level of mercy to where no matter what somebody's background is, no matter what somebody's trauma is, they can come in here and they can feel like they can be a part. And you're like, well, man, we just let them belong. We're just letting them belong. When are they ever going to believe? We're just letting them belong. When are they ever going? No, that, that's, not, that's not our job. Our job, right, is to give them a place to where they can experience Jesus. And now Jesus comes alongside and he takes care of the believing in. We just want to love them well until then. And it might be a week. It might be the first time or it might be 10 years. But regardless of how long it takes somebody um, to come alongside and say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to surrender my life. We provide that atmosphere because he gave us that atmosphere himself. He poured out mercy on us all the time. Just poured out mercy and poured Excuse me, poured out mercy. And when I didn't listen, he was merciful. And when I rebelled, he was merciful. And when I didn't believe him, he was merciful. And when I didn't trust him, he was merciful. And when I did the opposite of what he told me to do, he was merciful. And then that atmosphere of mercy that he continually gave me personally, got me to where I am right now. It wasn't just the truths that he reminded me of, although we need those to govern and compass our lives. It wasn't just um, the behaviors that he tried, to, he tried to push me to become more like him. Those things are good, and we need those things too. But mercy is the motivator. If you're trying to get over spiritual humps in your life to where you're more like Jesus or you're trying to create some habits in your life and it doesn't just seem like you can get those habits going, here's what I want you to do. Realize that an atmosphere of mercy is your motivator. Get in the presence of God. Spend some time with him and let that mercy fill you. Get around people that are full of mercy. Um, go show 
mercy. Mercy is a characteristic of God that we've got to have flowing in us. We need to receive it and we need to give it. And when we do that, we'll recognize, and it might take some time, but you're more motivated now to surrender because you've been baptized in the mercy of God. And how much easier is it for you to surrender somebody when you just feel his goodness all the time? And even when you don't feel it, you look back and sometime later and you see how he was working it all for your good. Mercy is our motivator. When I have to surrender my body, a living sacrifice, or when, I have, when, I, when I'm asked to do so, I can't just let pain in hard times and trials be the only thing that gets me to be willing. I mean, they might get you there a little bit. There has to be something, right, as a motivator that's going to keep you in the game to where even when you get hit, you're like, well, getting hit makes people tough. It maybe, maybe it does, but uh, Artie Rockefeller is famous for saying this. They asked him, what was the secret behind your fortune? He said two things. He said, number one, is that I was a tither. He said the number two is, is that I had a dad here on earth that loved me so much that I was not afraid to fall or fail. And that's the grit that I'm after in people, is that they're in an atmosphere where they're loved so much that they're not afraid to fall or fail. Falling and failing is nobody's goal, but they're not afraid to fall and fail. What does that? A mercy-infused Habitat, where there's just mercy. And when they were doing good one Sunday and they fell during the week and they came back with their head down and somebody picked them up and they were doing good for four weeks and they came back and they had trouble or they had a fight at home or they, maybe, maybe they slipped and they gave back into an addiction or maybe they made a bad decision or maybe they lashed out on somebody or maybe they did this or that, but no matter what they did, it wasn't that we're co-signing the behavior. It's just that we've been given so much mercy that we're going to extend that mercy all the time to other people. We're going to love them well. And we're going to let them see the true nature of God, not just the nature that sometimes churches push. Because oftentimes I say, God, I am so thankful that you are not who they taught me that you were. And I'm not trying to blast any specific organization. But when I grew up, I felt like God was very, very straight-laced and hardcore. First time I wore a hat in church, a guy came up and he slapped me in the back of the head so hard that my hat did a flip right off my head. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I was sitting in church one day, and a deacon gave me a wet willy in the middle of church. And uh, he did. And it traumatized me so much that my wife gave me just a willy, and it wasn't even wet. And I jumped up, and I was like, what's up? Like, I was ready um, because that wet willy got me so bad. Um, uh, I, I, I went to take up an offering one time because I wanted to serve in the church, and I went to take the offering up. And in front of the whole church, they asked me to sit down. After I went up there to take the offering up, and I was like, I'm trying to collect money for you people. Why do you want me to sit down? I'm trying to help out. I came to find out later it's because I had shorts on. I had shorts on. That's why I couldn't take up the offering. I had shorts on. I was sitting in the third row, and I was really getting into worship one time. I think I was like 10 or 20. I mean, I was somewhere in there, and I was excited about worship. I was feeling it. I was vibing. So I started playing my air guitar. Like, I probably wasn't 20. <laughs> I was just playing my air guitar, sitting there having a good time playing my air guitar. The guy running the sound didn't like it, so he came in front of everybody and grabbed me and made me sit in the back because he said, you don't play your air guitar when you're worshiping. I was like, oh, my gosh. I, just, I think I, just, I was actually making the worship team jealous of what I was doing. Their guitar player was getting insecure. But, um, but anyways, I, I had all these things happen, and, and people have experienced so many things that are worse than that. I'm just trying to tell my story. Is that I could have allowed all those things to make me think that God teaches you just through pain and embarrassment because that's what I experienced a whole lot 
growing up in church is that there were rules and regulations that God had, and this is how you please Him. You don't wear your hat. You wear pants. You don't play the air guitar, things like that. And, and that's, that's kind of the idea um, that I could have had. And when I said it earlier, I meant it, is that I thank God all the time that He is not who they taught me He was. And today, my goal would be for you to think of God maybe differently than you were taught who he was, to think of him as full of mercy, to think of him as someone you can go to anytime right in the middle of your mess, not the last place, not the final place, not the, oh, God's only left, but the very first thing you go to is you go to Jesus. You say, here, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I need. And here's what I know you're going to get from him. When you go to him, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get mercy. You're going to get mercy. And that's what you need. You don't need pain when you already feel pain. You don't need trial when you're already in the middle of trial. God didn't cause those things. They're down here on their own. As much as I don't like it, I may accidentally, because we're playing baseball, nick one of those kids. You know, I may do that. If they don't straighten up in the dugout, I might do it on purpose. I'm not for sure. Like, it's, we'll see how it goes. But, but um, when pain happens, when that happens... When we get in a trial, when we get in a hard time, what I want you to do is, is I want you to remember the Jesus that actually Scripture teaches. I want you to remember the Jesus that is full of mercy, full of mercy, and that he wants you to live. He can't, not, not in a perfect life, but in a life infused with his mercy to where you trust him enough to go to him with anything. And since you trust him so much, there's no, there's no things now that you feel like you need to hide from him. You don't need to keep it back. Although he already sees it, you don't need to keep it back. You don't need to be greedy with your money because you can trust him now so much because he's full of mercy. You don't have to be greedy with your time because you trust him so much because he's full of mercy. You don't have to hide your porn addiction because you can trust him now so much that he doesn't want to just convict you or embarrass you. You don't have to, you don't have to hide your substance abuse addiction. You don't have to hide um, your inferiority complex. You don't have to hide your inner critic. You don't have to hide any of those things from him. You can come raw and real and say, you know what, Jesus? You knew when you bought me and gave me this view that there would be dirt and rocks in the field, but you thought there was a pearl in me. Here's the dirt. Here's the rocks. Here's the junk. Here's the garbage. And in view of your mercy, I am trusting you and I might not have it all right right now but here's a little more than I gave you yesterday and yeah pain may be what have got me here initially but I recognize that that was you are not the cause that you are a God that is full of mercy you're not down here just judging me mercy itself has triumphed over judgment it is the greatest motivator to be have a view of the mercy of God the goodness of God and to let that just show up in your life every single day. Let him, no matter how long you followed him or served him, or if this is your first time ever in church today, let him redefine himself to you as a God that is full of mercy. I mean, just full of mercy, just full of mercy. God, I thank you that you are not who we may have been taught that you are. God, I'm thankful that you are not a teacher that has a report card in your hand watching my actions. Lord, I thank you that my view has already been bought and paid for by Jesus. Romans 12, um, 2, if we'll throw it up there. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. That word conform just means don't go by the laws of the world. It says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transform. Have you ever uh, been in a storm? And I know that you have. You live in Oklahoma. And then you lose your power. Or have you ever heard a transformer blow up, like a lightning hit a transformer. A transformer, it's just where the voltage is carried from, from one place to another, and it's boom, like that. Well, that's kind of where that word um, transform comes from. An electrical transformer, it's where the voltage is controlled. It's where the voltage is controlled. And what the scripture is saying is, is that you don't have to go by the rules of this world with the way you surrender, with the way you live, um, with the way you feel, with the way you act. You don't have to do that um, because there's a different voltage that is available. There's a different power that is available. There's a different circuit that is available. There's something else that is greater than what this world offers that is available to you. And what that will do is it will change your mind. It will renew your mind. It will change the way you feel about things. God has a power system, a grid, if you will, in the way that we access the power for us to think differently, to act differently, to do differently, to love differently, to do things more and to be more, the way we access that is through surrender. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is saying, is that there is a different power available for you to get done the things that you want to get done in your life. Maybe the hills you're trying to get up, maybe the problems that you've been having, there's something else that's available, and it's a transforming power. It's, got, it's, on, a, it's on a different network. It's a different voltage. It's stronger than your will. It's stronger than your ability. It's stronger than your strength. It is God's strength, and he wants to give you access to that through surrender. It goes on and says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And here we go. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. There are a bunch of scholars, that last line right there, that they believe that good, pleasing, and perfect are not just three adjectives to describe the will of God, but they believe that they're actually three levels of his will meaning that there's three places in God's will you can get. Meaning there's one that's good, there's one that's pleasing, there's one that's perfect. And no matter where you're at in that process, good is definitely better than nowhere. And then pleasing would maybe be better than good and perfect better than pleasing. And what they believe is, according to the scripture, is that the way that you um, promote in God's will or the way that you see more of God's goodness show up in your life is through your level of surrender, through your level of yieldedness. And they believe that when you yield more, you see more. And that's what they're saying, is that when, when, when there's more of you, that even when you don't understand it, even when you have questions, even with your filled with doubt, you say, God, I'm just going to trust you, and I'm going to do things your way because you're full of mercy, that there's actually levels to the game, and that you would, you would see more of God's goodness show up in your life. Um, just a quick example would maybe be uh, goodwill is that you're considering, um, maybe, maybe you're considering trusting God with your finances. Pleasing will would be you take the first step and you be in the tithe, and the perfect will would be you would take a step beyond the tithe and you would ask God that you know this whole thing is yours. Who can I bless? Good, pleasing, and perfect. That can play out in a lot of ways, but good, pleasing, and perfect. And if you did it one, two, and three, three would be better than two, two would be better than one, and one would be so, so much better than zero. So we're just trying to get people to one and let God get them to two and three. But the levels of surrender have a reason. And the reason is there's more of what God wants for you that can show up in your life when you have a different level of surrender. And here's something that I've been trying to get to for a while. And I'm trying to get there is that I am trying to get myself to what I think scripture talks about as an established yes, an established yes. And what I mean by that is, is that before God ever asked me to do anything, I'm going ahead and my default setting to God is, God, you've been so merciful. Even when I don't feel like it, even when I don't feel like I have the strength, I've got an established yes in my heart to anything that you ask me or my family 
to do. We're trying to get to that being our default setting. It doesn't mean that we always say yes. It doesn't mean that when God asks us to do something, oh man, this is, this is so great. We just spent six months trying to save this money and you want us to give it to somebody else. I mean, that, that's not really, really fun. You know what I'm saying? Like it took us all this, but it's an established just as a default setting to where we, there's a level of surrender that we're trying to get to. And again, we don't always nail it. We back off sometimes. We want to do better and we're trying to do better. But to where when it comes to my relationship with Jesus, God, you've been so merciful you're so trustworthy. I've got an established yes in my heart for anything that you ask me to do. And I know some of y'all are already operating in a piece of that because when the church pushed people to an 830, you showed up. That's what an established yes would be. God, if there's something that um, you're putting in front of me that is going to better your people, my church, my family, I'm going to take an established yes approach to where I'm just going to say yes ahead of time. I'm already saying yes. I'm already saying yes. Yes, and maybe you're at a different point in your life, and maybe God would say, hey, it's time to change careers. Well, changing careers is a lot easier if God is leading you, and you go through counsel, and you go through scripture, and you go through community, and you check all the boxes and the filters to make sure it's God. But once you do those things, surrender is an established yes in your heart where, God, I'm going to say yes to you. I'm going to say yes to you. And here's why you can do that. You can see it in the book of Lamentations. Um, Lamentations. There we go. Chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, it says this. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is probably, I don't know if you should have favorite scriptures, but this is at least my top five. Um, and my favorite part is where it says, His mercies are new every morning. And from a visual perspective, the way I see that about God and me trying to get to an established yes is this, is even when I miss it, his mercies are new every morning. So I see like 10 million piles of mercy in heaven. Maybe, maybe that's a lot. I don't know. But 10 million piles. And I see me absorbing a couple million a day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I just feel like, like I, I've spent 3 million mercies today. Absolutely did. 5 million some days. One day I hit 9. But you know what I'm saying? Like I'm spending, I'm spending these piles of mercy. And then I go to sleep. Under the grace of God in a mercy-filled day, and when I wake up, there's 10 million piles of mercy. And then maybe one day I only spent 500,000. And I'm like, man, I was, you know. And then I wake up and I'm thinking, you know what, I've got some residual mercy from the day before, so I'm good because I only spent 500,000 of the 10 million piles. And I wake up, and there's 10 million. And the next day I don't have that good of a day, but I've got, I don't know, 5 million left. And I wake up the next morning, and then I thought, i got 5 million to spend today. no. I've got 10 million piles. And maybe one day I spent all but one. And I'm like, you know what, God, I need you to do something great. And then he did. Because when I woke up, there was 10 million piles of mercy. Because his mercy, according to Lamentations, is renewed every single morning. I heard it said like this, is that it's like an onion. When you peel a layer off, there's just as many layers underneath the onion than there were before you peeled it off. And you peel another layer off, the same amount of layers. And you peel another layer off, there's the same amount of layers. And you peel, you're jiving with me. 10 million piles. And I wanted to tell you that to tell you this. Listen, you, you've been pre-qualified by God's mercy to take any step that he's leading to you and leading you to do. And all that's necessary is you just surrender and trust. So what does that look like? Well, you just do what you feel like he's asking you to do. You just take a step. No matter what the area of life is, how big or small, you just surrender that piece of your life, and you're going to find out that God is full of mercy. And when you use a lot of them one day, there's just as many the next day because he's just that good. He's got it set on auto renew. 
and just fills up and just fills up. I remember um, for my family, what was uh, at the time seemed like a really big area that we were having to surrender. And this may seem different. Um, I'll give a little context. We, uh, so when I was raised in church, um, not, they, didn't, they didn't just slap your hat off the back of your head. They also, uh, it was a, I was kind of raised in what would be called like a charismatic setting. So um, it just, just the way they approached preaching and worship and the, pe- the crowd's response to the two and everything like that, just kind of what I was used to. Um, and I didn't believe that that's the only way that God moved or the only way that God worked, but I definitely had a preference because that's what I was, that's what I was raised in. And I was driving down the road one day trying to figure out what God wanted me to do for church. And I was driving down the Broken Arrow Expressway, and God spoke to me. And I don't mean he wrote it in the clouds, um, but he could have because I was so clear. He was like, go to this church in Tulsa. And the church's name was uh, WOC, great place. Um, God did a lot of healing in my life at that place, crystal clear. Knew it right then, went there. When I got there, it was easy to say yes because that place looked like what I liked church to look like. Seven years later, after several conversations with, uh, with Pastor Jared here at the Brick, I felt like God might be telling us, it's time to lead your family to the Brick. And um, although we have some different flair here, and we're a great representation of the whole body of Christ here at the Brick, which is a huge strength, um, we weren't and still aren't exactly what I was raised in. And again, it wasn't, I was saying this was better and then this was wrong. It was a preference thing. That's all it was. It was a preference thing. And as easy as it was for me to be on the Broken Arrow Expressway one day and God said, go to WOC. I mean, I almost flipped it. It was a Monday. They weren't even having church. I was pumped to go. I was like, God, I surrender. There we go. I surrender. It wasn't hard to surrender. It was my preference. It was my preference. So easy to go there. I went there the first week, and I was, uh, um, Haley wasn't with me at the time, but I was on the phone with Haley when I got in there. I was like, I'm pumped to get in here. I can hear the music from the, you know, the parking lot. Let's get in. And I got in there, and it was, it, was, it was great. It was just actually a healthy version of what I was raising. It was a great place. And I get asked maybe to come here by God, and it was different because I felt like I was having to give so many things up. I mean, I felt like I was having to give so many things up. And the biggest, one of the biggest things for me is like, man, I just know how many things God has done for me, um, like in an atmosphere where you could just be free in worship. And this, again, this is, this is preference. This is me talking. This is, I'm not saying one way is right or the wrong. This is just what I'm thinking at the time. I was like, man, what am I going to do if my kids don't get raised in that environment? And I'm wrestling with this decision. And for me and my wife, for us, just transparently, it was like, at the time, it was a big level of surrender to say, okay, God, you want us to come here, so we're going to come here. We're going we're gonna to come here and we're going to do this. Well, fast forward um, little over four, little four years and two weeks ago, worship is going on and my youngest boy, Rowan, he's in the back and he's in the back and I'm kind of watching him and I'm watching everybody and I'm worshiping in between. I don't know if you've ever done that, but watching worship, do you ever do that? I do. Um, but anyways, I was, I was worshiping in between and then I looked down and I saw Rowan and he came up and Rowan worships different. He doesn't lift his hands or even sing. He worships like he's doing the Pledge of Allegiance. So he just, he just puts his hand on his heart like that. And then I was like, son, you can lift your hand. And I kind of moved his hand. I shouldn't have. And he just put his other hand up there. That's just, that's just how he worships. And then the, the next week, um, one of the people in Life Kids came to me and talked about how big of a blessing my daughter was serving and helping and loving. And then um, the next week, my oldest boy, Kaiser, I got to see him in the back. And I don't know if he was worshiping or if he was dancing or whatever he was doing, but his hair was definitely bouncing. You know, his, his hair was bouncing and it was moving around. And then after that, I went home 
and I'm, I'm kind of internalizing and I'm processing and I'm looking back. And here's what I recognize. Um, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Um, is that surrender looks different on the back end than it does on the front. I don't even think at this point it is fair to call that decision a sacrifice because I don't think it represents it well. God was leading me beyond my preference because he knew me better. God was leading me beyond what I wanted. God was leading me past my own will to get me to what he had in store for me. And my challenge to you today is is to trust a merciful God so much to where you would say, God, if this is how you're leading me, I'm going to take that next step. No matter what it looks like, I'm going to take that step and I'm going to surrender another part of my life to you because you are that good. Would you bow your heads today? One of two things, if, if you're in here and you want God to help you to surrender more of your life to him because he's been so merciful, or two, you want God to help you to create that same atmosphere of mercy for somebody else. Either one of those two, I want to pray for you today. You want God's mercy to show up in your life more, or you want to be the catalyst that helps God's mercy show up in other people's lives more. Either one of those two, right now, would you just lift your hand up and put it right down? I'm going to pray for you today. Yeah, I see those hands. I see those hands. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are not just who they said you are. You are so much more, Lord. And we ask today that, Lord, you would continue to be with us. And everyone that raised their hand, including myself, Father, I'm asking for your mercy to show up more in my life so that I could, yeah, be more like you, surrender more, be more, yeah, for you, Lord. But I recognize that, Lord, you're not asking us just to hit goals, Lord. You're just asking us to surrender. And Father, the same way that we want your mercy to show up more for us, we're asking that you would show us ways to surround people with your mercy, to give them an atmosphere that is filled with mercy so that they can see you true and that we can represent you well, that mercy would be on our lips and mercy would be in our expressions and mercy would be in how we act and how we respond. And we thank you for that. And then lastly, I know it's the 8.30, but maybe you're in here right now. And for the first time, you want to experience God's mercy. And what that means is, is that right now, you would want to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And his mercy would rush in to your life. And what comes with that mercy is healing and forgiveness and redemption and strength and help. And if you're in here right now and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, here's what we're fixing to ask you to do. Here at the brick, in just one moment, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand up and meet me eye to eye. And if that's you, after that, we're all going to pray a prayer together, and we're going to repeat it out loud. But if you're the one in here and you say, you know what, I want God's mercy to rush in my heart for the first time, rush into my, mer- rush into my life for the first time, if that's you, you're going to say that prayer from your heart. So right now, you want to receive Jesus as the Lord of your life for the first time. Would you just lift your hand up and meet me eye to eye? Anywhere in this room. You want mercy to rush in and you to feel and to know it. One more moment. Church will recognize that there, there, there is that chance that somebody is on the fence and that any moment while I'm talking and while we're praying and while God is moving, um, they can be willing to make that decision. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to pray this prayer out loud. And would you just repeat this prayer after me? Say, Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I know that I've made mistakes. I know that I've missed the mark. But today... Fill me with your mercy. 
make me brand new and use my life to reach others. In Jesus' name, amen.